You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Let me go ahead and tell someone the title of my sermon this morning, as you probably see it on the screen there. Christmas, cap or no cap? Uh, for, for those of the, the, the later generations, uh, if you don't know what cap means, it simply means a lie. Is it a lie or is it not a lie? It's one of the, you know, Gen Z phrases and terms, you know, I'm, I'm down and cool with the, the, the kids these days, you know. Uh, but is Christmas cap or no cap? And we'll get into that this morning. Uh, but just before we do, just to give a sort of a brief overview of the schedule of, of our sermons this, this month for December, uh, next week we have Pastor Jeremiah Thomas from uh, the Church in the City in Brampton, going to be coming in and speaking to us. He's been a good friend from uh, Feb Central, and, uh, and he's... And he's uh, he, 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 I've asked him to come and preach to us, and after that, next, the, the week following that, uh, we have Pastor Graham Melvin from the, the Meadows Church, also part of Feb Central, who's been a big mentor of mine as we've been joining that fellowship, and, got, and, and he's been helping me navigate all of that, and so he's going to come preaching the, the, following week, the following weekend after that. So, and then that will lead us straight into our Christmas service, our candlelight service, where we'll be back and preaching. And then, of course, we have our end-of-the-year service as well. So that's the schedule. We're going to be taking a break from the Gospel of John to do some more Christmas-oriented celebrations and sermons as well. So now as we enter into the Christmas seasons, we want to look at this age-old question and, and where this title of our, the sermon is really coming from. Was Christmas pagan? When we think about the origins or the start of Christmas, is it, does it actually start from uh, pagan roots? Is Christmas cap or no cap? The common understanding, I believe, amongst believers and unbelievers is that Christmas, whether it's December 25th, the day of, or the, the, the traditions and the trappings and the aspects of, of Christmas itself, it comes from pagan traditions. That's what is generally understood by Believers and unbelievers, and uh, it's oftentimes is generally accepted as fact. And again, that's where this question comes from: Is is Christmas cap or no cap? And uh, uh, oftentimes, uh, oftentimes believers just sort of just accept this reality of it being pagan. But as people of the truth, as people of the Word of God, I think it's very important for us really figure out for ourselves what is true and what is not true about the Christmas holidays and not just sort of believe the general understandings or the sentiments of an uh, unbelieving world and not just go with the commentary of, of unbelievers, of sinners. And so this morning our goal um, for, for us is to, to look at the historical records in terms of um, the church's first encounter with the holidays, the Christmas holidays, ultimately to see whether or not it is, in fact, or find its origins from pagan roots. And once we get all the facts, I want to give us three reasons as to, from our passage, really, as to why we as believers should, in fact, celebrate Christmas. 
Um, why we as believers uh, have this great opportunity, in fact, to celebrate Christmas, whether or not we believe it's pagan or not. The hope in all of this is to better equip ourselves to address the world's claims and accusations whenever, whenever uh, the Christmas season comes around. I don't know if you've seen this before or if maybe you've had conversations with unbelievers about this as well, but oftentimes when you say Merry Christmas to people, it's like, oh, it's Happy Holidays, right? And they, they start accusing you, well, well, Christians just stole Christmas from pagans and there's all these pagan things in it and it's not really a Christian festivity. It's not really a Christian festival. Well, uh, again, we want, to, we want to really change our worldview and our perspective on that. As I, and really, as I was uh, doing the research on, on the origins and history of Christmas, I, w- I, I myself was very much encouraged by the stuff that I found, the things that the early church did and practiced and even believed. And it really, I, my hope is that you too would be encouraged this morning and be all the more eager to celebrate the holidays as we, as, as again, the holiday season approaches. Now, we're going to unpack all of this in our, in our sermon this morning, but at first, I'm going to give you some more, uh, like I said, more historical. We're going to look at the historic records of Christmas and whatnot to better understand the origins of Christmas. And if you want more details on this, uh, there's a great apologist uh, named Wes, Wesley Huff, uh, who went to Tyndale. I had a couple of classes with him. Great. Uh, and um, he does a great... Uh, explanation and historical overview in this, and he's very astute in giving actual documents and, and letters from the early church fathers, describing all the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. But for now, I'm just going to give you an overview on such things. So, is Christmas cap or no cap? Let's talk about December 25th first. That's the day that we celebrate Christmas, the day itself. So the claim from um, the, the claim is that, as we mentioned from the world, is often that early Christians co-opted this pagan holiday to make it easier for pagans to convert to Christianity. It's like, well, we're, we're, you're celebrating something on December 25th. Well, come in over to our side, and we'll celebrate the birth of Jesus. Come join us. It's like in how modern-day churches often play. Uh, not often, but sometimes play secular music in their church services as if to try to attract unbelievers or people from the world into their midst. And um, I think that's the same idea here. The idea is that early church or the early Christians, they, 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 in order to try to convert people, they moved a pagan holiday or took a pagan holiday, made it Christian uh, to make it easier for unbelievers to come to Christianity. But if you read throughout the book of Acts and sort of the, the letters of Paul, you'd notice that that's not really the M.O., the tactics of the early church. Uh, oftentimes when pagans would convert to Christianity, they would dispose of their pagan practices and their pagan past or even pagan symbols. It's, uh, we know that the gospel is a call of repentance and we see that all throughout the New Testament. It's why Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, has to deal a lot with food offered to idols because there's still this, this notion from those who converted from paganism into Christianity that, hey, we shouldn't be practicing these, these, these idolatrous things, these practices from our, pagan, their, our, our old pagan faiths. And so there's really a move, and we see it in the New Testament, a move from pagan practices and an abandoning of pagan practices into Christianity. And we see examples of this, again, in Acts chapter 19, for example, 
Verse 18 to 20, it says, Also many of those who were now, now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it, it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So the idea here is that when people converted to Christianity, they weren't taking their pagan books and their pagan practices and, and making it Christian. They were completely destroying it, abandoning it completely. So that argument of, well, we just took something pagan to help people convert, doesn't really match with the New Testament, uh, the New Testament context. In addition to that, as we also see in the New Testament, the church, the, the church of God was growing exponentially. Just in the book of Acts, there was 3,000 added in one day from, when, from a single sermon that Peter preached. And then, and then it goes on to say that believers were being added to the church daily. So with that said, why would the early church need to come up with some sort of tactic such as taking a festivity of the pagan belief and turn it into a Christian belief just to bring people in. That's not how it worked in the, in the New Testament. That's not how it worked in the early church. God was bringing people to the church. It was God who was growing his church. It was unnecessary to make these tactics is, is essentially what we're arguing here. In addition to that, uh, as, we, as we, we've been talking about this, the, the church was growing exponentially in the first and second century, and there's actually good evidence that suggests that is actually the pagan religions who were trying to cater to Christians so that they would have the, the pagan converts come back to paganism. So we would have actually historical records where uh, during the Roman Empire where these pagan religions end up having to switch their holidays around just so that they could try to win Christians over or try to win Christians back to their pagan roots. See, in ancient in the ancient times, in the Roman Empire, they were not just polytheistic, meaning they had multiple gods, but they, also, they were also henotheistic, meaning they believed that all gods existed. So you had the Roman gods, you had the Greek gods, you had the Egyptian gods. They, they didn't say, okay, no, it was only the Roman gods that existed and the Egyptian gods weren't real. No, they were henotheistic, meaning all the pantheon of gods were real and true, and maybe just how, uh, maybe we, we have the names confused, or we're looking at them differently, but they're the same gods. That's why you have the same, uh, for example, you have the parallels between the, the Roman god Jupiter and the Greek god Zeus, and the Roman god Mars and the Greek god Ares. They're henotheistic. They thought every god existed all at once. At the same time, Christians, however, believed no, Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. They were the only faith, their only religion in those days that said, no, all the other gods are false, are not real, are demonic, and that Christ is the only way. It's actually why the Romans believed that Christians were atheistic. They called them atheists simply because they didn't believe in all these other pantheons of God. So with that mindset, it's, it's, it's more likely that the, these pagan religions and these pagan faiths 
in an effort to try to convert Christians back into paganism, said, hey, we're, we're, all, we're all celebrating the same God. Maybe the, 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 this Christ that you're celebrating is actually this deity in our pantheon. So come back to us and, and join our fellowship. So again, this notion that we sort of co-opted this date, December 25th, from, from pagans, really has no historical bearing to it. In fact, uh, early Christians, as early as the 2nd and 3rd century, already acknowledged December 25th as Christ's birth. They were already having feasts. They were already having uh, maybe not, not Christmas trees yet and all these other um, traditions of Christmas, but we have in historical records that Christians were already gathering for meals uh, to celebrate December 25th, 25th as the birth of Christ, and we'll discuss that a little bit later. Now, some arguments will say, well, how about the pagan festivals that, um, that were associated or, or that was celebrated during the same time? And we can talk a little bit about that. There's one Roman uh, festival called Sol Invictus. It's the, the festival of the unconquered sun. Um, and oftentimes you'll hear unbelievers today, they'll be like, well, Chris, Chris, Christmas is just, uh, again, Christians co-opting this, this pagan festival of Sol Invictus. Unfortunately, the historical records say that Sol Invictus was celebrated either in August or in October or very early December, so not consistent. Uh, there's no connection whatsoever to December 25th, at least not until the 4th century after the fact that Christians were already celebrating Christmas. How about Saturnalia? Maybe you've heard this from someone before. Saturnalia is another sort of Roman festival um, but unfortunately, it doesn't fit the timeline as well. The, 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 the earliest record of, of Saturnalia being celebrated was in the 5th century. 5th century, and it was celebrated 14 days before January, making it falling between December 14 to December 16. So not December 25th. Then there's other, other festivals. Bromelia, a winter solstice festival. It was celebrated. Maybe, uh, this one actually goes back to the second century, but it was celebrated in November. There's all other, other claims that Christianity just stole Christmas from other pagan uh, gods. Called uh, There's some stories of Mitra or Horus, and, and, and a lot of these unbelievers claim that Christians stole a lot of the Christmas story even from these pagan pagan gods. Some would even claim that, uh, well, for example, this, this Egyptian god Horus, if you've ever heard of him, some claim that he was born on, the, on December 25th to a virgin, and there were shepherds at his birth. Um, unfortunately, the earliest records of this myth dates back to the 1900s on Reddit somewhere. It has no bearing in historical evidence whatsoever. Now, no Egyptologist would even claim such mythology connected to uh, Horus. So what we see in a lot of the arguments that unbelievers claim about Christmas is that there's, there's some that, that are very much fabricated, some based on truth, but doesn't go back as early as what we see in the historical record for, for Christians in Christmas. And some are, as, as mentioned, just completely fabricated to sort of um, throw Christians under the bus and to criticize what we believe. Well, how about the, the winter solstice? That's another thing that people bring up. Celebrations connected uh, to the winter solstice 
don't really come up in the historical records until the fourth century. And again, Christmas was already being celebrated in the second and third century uh, in, in, um, in, in that part of the world. There's, there's, we even have calendars and writings from early church fathers during the mid-third or, or mid, or mid century saying that Christmas has been a long tradition of the church. Uh, many records of Christians feasting on December 25th. This is how you know Baptists go all the way back to the, the early church because there's been food in the church, right? This is feasting all the time. So then how, the good question to ask now is how did early Christians arrive on December 25th? Why is it that they started celebrating celebrating December 25th as the birth of Jesus Christ? Well, in the early church, there was uh, sort of a a, a belief that went around that if if you were a holy person, like a prophet, that you would have died on the same day that you were conceived. So if, for example, if you were, uh, I don't know, Deacon Jeev, for example, holy, pious man, if he was, if he died on January 1st, hopefully not 2024, right, but sometime January 1st, then the notion, the belief, the common belief in the early church was that he was born January, or rather conceived January 1st, right? There's, there's this uh, weird numeration that, that happened in the early church. And uh, with that said, according to the biblical account, uh, Jesus was crucified and died on the day of preparation during Passover on the 14th of Nisan. And that's all in, um, in the Gospels. And we also see that in, in the book of Numbers and in, in the law in terms of when the Passover takes place. The 14th of Nisan, not the car, it's a Jewish month, Nisan. The fourth, 14th Nisan uh, it, it is, equates to March 25th. And so if you take that, that, that again, early church mindset that if you, the, the day you die is the same day that you were conceived, March 25th, the conclusion is that Jesus died on March 25th, therefore he was also conceived on March 25th, and nine months after March 25th is December 25th. That's where they get that number from. Of course, there was other dates that people threw around and, uh, and, and, and threw about. If you, if you go to an Orthodox church, they throw January 6th because they believe that Jesus uh, died nine months before that. But the most common belief in, in terms of celebrating when Jesus was born was December 25th. And again, that dates back all the way to the 2nd century. It was only actually, the, if you know the Roman Emperor Constantine, he's the one that officialized it in the 3rd century that this is when the church is going to celebrate Christmas, December 25th. But even before that, it was already commonly accepted. So that is where we get December 25th. Not from some pagan religion, not some from pagan festival. It was something, it was a date that the church itself had put on the calendar to celebrate the advent of the Savior. Let's talk about Christmas trees. Who likes Christmas trees? You're all pagans. No, no, no. So the earliest, uh, the earliest records of, uh, of Christians being associated with Christmas trees well, it goes all the way back to uh, the 8th century, 800 AD, and uh, with a man named St. Boniface who challenged the Norse gods uh, by cutting down an oak tree 
that was dedicated to Thor, the god of thunder, Chris Hemsworth, right? And when he was not struck down by lightning, he dedicated a pine tree to Christ so that these pagans would come and, and believe this is, you know, representing the true Christ. That's the earliest account of when a pine tree was associated with, with Christianity. In addition to that, uh, around the 1500s, there was, a, there was a common play that was put, put on um, around the Christmas season. Uh, and in this play, they would have a paradise tree. This paradise tree was um, oftentimes depicted as a pine tree with, with baubles on it because it was meant to represent the, 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 the tree in the Garden of Eden. And this tree was, again, meant to not just represent the tree in the Garden of Eden, but also point us forward towards the new heavens and new earths when Christ would come and then there would be a tree of life there and whatnot. So this tree in the 1500s, this paradise tree, uh, again, would be seen in this play, and that play would often be depicted on December 24th. That's where, uh, that's where um, another place that we can pinpoint Again, the pine tree being associated with Christianity. Of course, there's another famous story of the great reformer himself, Martin Luther, when he was out on a stroll one night during the Christmas season. Um, he was walking amongst some pine trees, and he saw the beautiful starry heavens behind the pine trees and, in, in, and was reminded of the star that we just read about in Matthew chapter 2 and in an effort to encapsulate that that experience and that story, he cut down a pine tree, brought it into his church, and, and it's sort of been a tradition, um, in, in, at least in Germany, and then it spread throughout Europe after that. So actually, this, celebrate, this idea of a Christmas tree has been, is, is, is fairly new in terms of Christmas celebrations. Now, a good question to ask, well, uh, well didn't pagans also worship trees? Right? Didn't pagans also uh, um, celebrate trees? As we talked about, there's a story of St. Boniface, and they, the, the Norse people were celebrating an oak tree. Yes, of course. You know, there is definitely pagan practices that revolve around trees, but even in the historical records, there isn't much evidence of those pagan practices revolving around pine trees specifically. And by the time, again, Christmas trees became popular around the, between the 1500s to the 1700s, around that time, those pagan practices were already long forgotten and disassociated from any uh, Christmas tree. So the argument, again, from sometimes even believers and unbelievers will be, pagans used to worship pine trees. Well, pagans also used to uh, sing worship songs, and they used to celebrate their, or gather in worship buildings, right? No doubt there are some aspects and some similarities uh, in terms of the Christmas tree and some other traditions in Christmas to some pagan practices, but as, as often we hear, correlation is not causation. It's because there are similarities. It's because there are some aspects that they share. It does not mean that we have taken it from pagan roots, pagan practices. For example, um, just recently, it was the, the Festival of Lights, the D Diwali, right? Many Indians uh, celebrated Diwali just uh, recently. Um, but Hanukkah is also called the Festival of Lights, right? But no one ever argues, well, the Jews stole the Festival of Lights from the Indians. 
or vice versa. Yet it's oftentimes we, we hear this argument from, from unbelievers towards Christianity and Christmas. Moreover, there are also other pagan practices and symbols and even days that you know, oftentimes we don't care for or we don't even bat an eye. For example, you know, Wednesday was named after Odin, the Norse god. Odin's Day. Thursday was named after Chris Hemsworth. Thursday. And then, of course, Sunday, Sun's Day. Monday is Moon's Day. Everything very much coming from pagan practices, pagan beliefs. But do we as believers say, hey, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't celebrate those days or we shouldn't live in a, in a typical calendar day? No, of course not. It means little to us. The point of all of this is that, at least, at least for believers, that we should be consistent with our conscience, right? If we say something is pagan, that we should recognize everything that is pagan. If we are okay with something that is pagan and we, 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 we go about it anyways, then we should be okay with other things. Um, if our conscience or conviction dictates that Christmas is pagan, we should be consistent with all these other things too. So, is Christmas, there's other things that we could talk about, but, but there, that's the summation about it. About, I think the, the major things that we think about in Christmas. So, is Christmas cap or no cap? All who, everyone who thinks that Christmas is pagan, put your hands up after everything I said. Good, I'm glad everyone is listening. <laughs> and everyone who thinks that Christmas came from their early church fathers, put your hands up. There's people who are still undecided. What is this? That's okay. That's okay. December 25th, at least in the historical records, um, the, the, all the Christmas celebrations with all its trappings was a day chosen by the early church, the early, even the early church fathers, to celebrate the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, into the world. Now, with all of that said, it, it, an important question to ask is, should we celebrate Christmas? And I ask this question because, of course, there are some church traditions that don't celebrate Christmas because, again, they associate it with paganism. And so, with everything that has been said, should we celebrate Christmas? Well, I guess another reason we can ask this question is that just because it is not pagan but is a church tradition doesn't mean that we should practice it, too. Right? Just because something is a church tradition, it doesn't mean that we should practice it. For example, in the Philippines during, around, during, uh, during Easter season, you have people crucifying themselves on actual crosses, physically crucifying themselves. That is a church tradition. doesn't mean you should practice it here in Canada. It's illegal. Uh, moreover, nowhere in the Bible does it say or does it explicitly say that we must celebrate the birth of Christ, or we must celebrate Christmas? It doesn't say that in Scripture. Mind you, there are already practices in the church, traditions in the church, that, that is not explicitly commanded in Scripture, but we celebrate it anyways. For example, gathering or meeting uh, on Sunday is not in the Bible. The early church made that tradition or, 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 or made that into a, a thing of the church to celebrate the day in which Christ was resurrected on, 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 on the third day, which is Sunday. That was a way to commemorate that. But again, it's not in 
It's not in the Bible. It's not explicitly declared that we ought to worship on Sundays. And yet, here we are. We accept it uh, freely. So should we celebrate Christmas? To that, I would first point to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul's concern in this passage is not just, to be, not just to be led astray by pagan philosophies or traditions, but being rather restrained or held captive by those who would accuse us or judge us for practicing pagan practices or things that might be associated to paganism. Those who judge us not according to Christ's standards. Now, following this, this verse, uh, Paul goes into this, I, this, the reality of Christ uh, putting into open shame and conquering all the pagan and demonic uh, powers of the world. And because of this, he then says in verse 16 to 17, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are all shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. See, in Christ, we have the freedom to celebrate festivals, new moons, Sabbaths, these are that, that ultimately point to Christ. That's what, what Paul's talking about here. The point of these things, the point of these festivities are, 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 are to point to the glory of Christ. There is freedom to celebrate these festivals, so as long as these festivities, as long as they point to Christ. They are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That's what Paul keeps talking about here. So then, how much more then? And again, this is talking about these, uh, in the context of that passage, it's talking about the, the festivals and, that are, are coming from pagan, uh, from pagan belief systems. How much more the festivities, the celebrations, the traditions that we just talked about that actually came from church, the church, from Christians that, in, that were, again, explicitly trying to celebrate the birth of our Savior, which is Christmas. In addition, with all the things that we talk about in, in regards to the Bible, where the Bible is not explicit on, we, we always relate it to Paul's sentiments about food offered to idols. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Oftentimes we, we summarize that as all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Where the Bible is not explicit, we must weigh, does it benefit myself or does it, does it build up the church? Does it point to God? Does it, will it bring glory to Christ? And the, this is a great argument for Christmas because yes, absolutely it does point people to Christ. It does point to the glory of God. And as we will see, it, 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 it is edifying and, and, and beneficial for believers to celebrate Christmas. And so as we, as we sort of summarize everything here, let me give you three reasons why we should celebrate Christmas from our passage here. First and foremost, Christmas is an opportunity to remember the gospel, to remember the gospel. Again, the purpose of why the early church fathers set this date out out of the calendar 
is to remember, to celebrate the birth of Christ and all of that entails, uh, and what that entails. John, the Apostle John puts it this way, John chapter 1, verse 9. This is his Christmas narrative. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, he, and we have seen his glory, glory of the, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Christmas celebrates this glorious truth. It recalls to mind this moment in time where, where all of creation ceased its groanings because the Son of God had entered into a fallen world. It recalls to mind where all of creation was what, what, what all of creation was waiting for since the fall. The moment that, that even the angels could not help but declare and sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Christmas celebrates the moment in which the word became flesh and all the promises of God to redeem fallen humanity began to be fulfilled. It is the moment in history where hope was personified, the person of Jesus Christ. So yes, absolutely, we should celebrate Christmas because this is what we recall in it. That a holy, holy God, loving, sinful man came and stepped down into our world, brought his light into a world of darkness. And, you know, I, I understand that Christmas can be tough for some, can be difficult for some. Maybe it's a time that, that reminds us of, of the distance between us and our loved ones. Or maybe the loss of loved ones. You know, we, we, have, a, we have a friend who several, several years ago, her, uh, her, her mom passed away on Christmas Day. And that has been, you know, at least in my understanding, whenever Christmas comes around, a hard time. And so I understand that, that, that Christmas can be a difficult time for people. It can, it can even stir up feelings of loneliness, sentiments of loneliness. Yet, it's in those moments <coughs> that we ought to remember the good news, the hope of Christmas all the more. The hope of Christmas, what, what Christmas truly means and what it celebrates, that Jesus came so that we can be reconciled to a holy God, so that our relationships here on this world can be reconciled, so that we would never have to be alone because we know that God is with us, Emmanuel. It's a hope that it's a time that we can that sell that we can remember the hope that we have that we can see our loved ones who have passed away and who has believed on Christ again. <coughs> Excuse me. Christmas is an opportunity to remember the good news of Jesus Christ and what it has afforded us. Secondly, why we should celebrate Christmas is Christmas is an opportunity to reveal the gospel. To reveal the gospel. What I love about our passage is, is this whole story about the wise men coming from traveling from the east. And we've talked about it here before, but it's another common myth in, in during the Christmas holidays that there were three wise men 
There is not three wise men. At least it's not, it doesn't say in the Bible, in the text, that there were three wise men. There were three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it didn't say how many wise men there were. Now, we understand that these, these wise men, or as, as some of the translations call them, the magi, they were uh, these wise men that came from the east, most likely Persia. They were known as kingmakers. They were the ones who, who, who proclaimed individuals, acknowledged individuals as kings. And they traveled all the way from another land, from a, a pagan land, just to come to Israel and proclaim this new king of the Jews. It's interesting how these pagan men found themselves looking for, for this Jewish king and even this Jewish Messiah. And if you're asking, well, how did, they, how did even these pagans come to know about this? Well, if you remember in the Jewish history that they were, they were taken captive by the kingdom of the empire of Persia at one point. After Babylon, Persia came and took over. And, and along with being taken captive, the, the people being taken captive, the writings of the prophets were also taken, um, taken captive as well. And so these wise men would have read the old prophecies from the Old Testament as well. In terms of the, the place, that we, we read it in our passage, that's referencing Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathat, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. That's what's being referenced in Matthew chapter 2. In addition, it talks about how these wise men were following stars. Well, where did they get this notion from? goes all the way back to Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. So this is where they, they, they got these, these ideas and why they traveled all the way from Persia. Similar to, now similar to how the first Christmas or this advent was an opportunity for these wise men from pagan countries of pagan origins, an opportunity for them to come and meet and worship the Christ. It's also an opportunity for us, the church, to share and reveal the hope to an unbelieving world. Especially in a world that we live in, the world that we live in now, where, where if Christmas was not pagan in the past, it certainly is becoming more and more pagan, at least more secular, if anything. With, with all the consumerism and with all the, uh, the mentality and the view of, of, of Christmas these days. The world has completely forgotten what Christmas is about. At least in the past, you would see you know, TV shows connect to the real message of Christmas, the real, the, the real story of Christmas. Remember Anyone remember the Charlie Brown Christmas special? I love that. Nobody remembers this. Am I, I'm not that old, right? The Charlie Brown Christmas special where at the end of it all, Linus orates the mo mo most, mostly from Luke chapter 2 and he ends, that's, that's, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. It's a great movie. But we don't see that anymore these days. These days it's all about sexy Santa and consumerism and Mariah Carey, Right? 
Yet as Christmas becomes more and more secular, it gives us a greater opportunity to reveal and to share with the world what it has forgotten about Christmas. What it truly is about. And really, what better reason do we have as, as believers in this time, in this, in this world, to talk about the gospel, uh, to talk about Jesus, to share Jesus to unbelievers, to our coworkers and friends? It's Christmas. We have an excuse. What better reason to invite them to church, to share a meal, to build up relationships around the holidays and really talk about the true meaning of Christmas. Christmas is an opportunity to reveal the gospel. gospel. An opportunity to reveal the gospel. Lastly, why we should celebrate Christmas. Christmas is an opportunity to represent the gospel. It's an opportunity to declare to the world that Christ is with us, that Christ is in our home. We belong to him. I love the meaning of the star and why we put stars on top of Christmas trees. It's because to say, Christ is here. Christ is in this home. Similar to how the wise men were following the star to, that, that led them eventually to where Jesus was, we decorate our Christmas trees with a star on top to say, Christ is dwelling in this place, in our home. To tell the world that God is indeed with us. You know, in a world that is seriously, desperately looking for connections, for relationships, something outside of themselves, just to be with something. Christmas is a great story of God coming to our world to build relationship. Again, that's why he was called Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is a great time to represent this truth. To represent him as ambassadors. Uh, we, read, we, this, we read this all the time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's relationship. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the great reality of Christmas, what we can represent to the world. That we believe in a God that wants to have a relationship with the world. Wants to have a relationship with fallen man. You have to understand... It's not, us being ambassadors is not just us having the message of the gospel, but also evidence of the gospel. And that evidence often comes with a changed life. When we celebrate Christmas for what it truly is, we, great, we have this great opportunity to show the world the power of the gospel to change lives. It's always interesting that, um, similar to how businesses or, 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 yeah, or, or, or warehouses or factories, whatever it is, have these peak seasons, when the, the season where they're very busy at work. It's interesting how the church, its peak season is often Christmas or Easter. You'll, you'll have people come out of the woodwork and who, who've never come to church, and they'll, they'll join us for, for Easter, or they'll join us for Christmas festivities. It's like these two, these two holidays that people come out. But then after that, once the holidays are over, it's like back to, back to normal living. Oftentimes the world treats Christ, their, 
their, the sentiments that come with, with Christmas in terms of generosity and giving and love and hope and community, they often treat it like they treat their Christmas trees. They pull it out once a year, and then once the holidays is over, they, they pack it up and stow it away. That's how the world treats it, but for believers, it should not be the same. The qualities that we, that we exhibit and we celebrate during Christmas, whether it's, again, generosity or love or community or hope or peace, those are qualities that those of the kingdom ought to be demonstrating every day of the year. We ought to be demonstrating those things every day. Every day is an opportunity to, to celebrate and to declare to the world that Christ is in our homes, that Christ is with us, that Christ has changed us. That's what it means to be a new creation in that passage that we just read. We're not only a new creation on one day of the year, it's every day of the year. We're ambassadors of this hope, of this reality. So, so maybe some application, even as we're going into the Christmas season here, how is your home representing the hope of Christ? How are you representing the hope of Christ? Is it just a, 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 a seasonal thing? Or is it a yearly thing? How are you declaring to the world every day that Christ is in your home, that Christ has changed you? So as we conclude things here, you know, oftentimes we can be like Herod, King Herod, or the Jews in our passage, who, who missed it completely. We can be like those who, whom Christmas, the holidays, actually belongs to, but miss the opportunity to remember, to reveal, to represent the gospel in the holidays. We can be like Herod, and the Jews were who, who the Old Testament and the prophecies belonged to and, and still missed the birth of the Savior. Because we can oftentimes get caught up in the, the business of Christmas, the consumerism, the, maybe we can even be indifferent towards it. It must not be so for us. Let us celebrate the holidays. Remember, again, to remember the gospel in it, what the holidays involves, what it truly means, to reveal it with our neighbors, to share the gospel to our, to our neighbors, the, utilize this opportunity we have in the holidays, this excuse that we have in the holidays to share the gospel. Of course, it must be something that we represent on a daily basis. To the lost, to those who would not identify themselves as a believer or as a Christian, Again, this is what Christmas is all about. The hope that we have from God. That he came in the form of man to die for our sins. This idea of reconciliation and this relationship that we've been talking about today, that God wants with us, the detriment to that relationship is our sin. But Christ came to die for that sin, to die on the cross. We absolutely believe that Jesus came as a baby, but he grew up. To be a man that, that dies on the cross for us. He died, he rose from the grave. The only hope that we have in this world, in this dark world, is the light of the world, Jesus Christ, the gift of God to us.
So if you have yet to put your faith in Christ for your salvation, to deal with your sin, to have a relationship with God, the invitation, as always, is to start with Jesus. Put your faith in Him. Trust in Him. He's the only way to have a relationship, a right relationship with a holy God. To the found, to my brothers and sisters, again, the encouragement is utilize this season to share the gospel, to live out the gospel, to give evidence of the gospel to our unbelieving world. We are to be the light of the world, reflecting the light of Christ that has come into this world. We must not squander the season. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.